If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Softweb Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Army Ranger and Green Beret, Jack Murphy. Good riddance. Hasta lasagna. Don't get any on you. Marine Scout Sniper, Jason Delgado. It's just something we're believing. I associate that with taste buds. I like freaking chocolate chip mint. Why is this flavor boring? Because his whole life is boring. But whatever. And now, here's your co-host and producer of this operation, Ian Scottell. Softrep.com, on time, on target, episode 310, and uh, voices on with me that you guys haven't heard from in, in a few months, I believe. It could be right. It's been, yeah. a, little, it's been a little time. The legend himself, <laughs> Jim West. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Oh, oh, anytime. I mean, and when you're interviewing Liz Carmouche, uh, UFC fighter, former Marine, who better to have? So I figured we'd have Jim in here. It's definitely been too long. And you're fresh off of your street fighting uh, class and seminar that you did for Crate Club members. Uh, yeah, that was uh, really awesome. Uh, I like the idea of uh, stepping into a crowd of people that you don't know and uh, presenting real-world street fighting scenarios and concepts and strategies because I always believe this is one or two guys, right, that are going to try to troubleshoot you a little bit or... Well, my experience, you know, something different to just show off. And I got to tell you, no matter what was in these guys' minds when they showed up, and maybe that was never there, but this was an awesome group of people that were really getting, uh, I mean, the engagement level on a scale of 1 to 10 was about a 25. Nice. We, we, we really got into it both ways. People, uh, you know, I got hit in the head by one of the guys. <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Uh, you know, Only you would say I think that was awesome. Oh, uh, it was, yeah. Uh, and uh, it, it, it was such a, a good crowd of people, and I think that the message was received to a point where I'm getting contacted now by members that showed up from the Crate Club that actually want to invite me out to train people from their office and uh, neighborhoods and you know something similar but a little bit more hands-on. And uh, so I'm stoked. So I, we're actually setting a tentative date for... January 27th for my first uh, trip out to go train anywhere from 30 to 50 guys. Nice. Yeah. yeah, so that's just more incentive to become a member of Crate Club if you haven't already. It's CrateClub.us, and these are like member-exclusive events we're doing. And I assume we'll do different stuff in the future and in different places because, I mean, we have a presence all over the country, really, sometimes in Oregon. So maybe at some point we'll do something there. You know, for example, they just premiered the Big Mountain Heroes uh, movie there. So we're trying to have events there. There's there's a presence in the whole California area, the San Diego area. Um, so hopefully we'll do stuff there in the future and uh, just keep expanding and, you know, doing uh, interesting stuff like this and, and maybe more fight seminars for Crate Club members. So if you haven't joined, it's CrateClub.us. Yeah, I, I thought it was awesome. I even was contacted by one of the individuals. Everyone shall remain nameless, but uh, about... Uh, I, so I, I gave them a bio 
because they want to try to get me on uh, TED Talks. and Which would be amazing. That's launched a lot of careers out there. So. Yeah. I don't do a lot. You know me, I'm pretty laid back, but I would do that in two seconds. So. Why not? Why yeah. not? I mean, that would probably do awesome things for your career, and, and I think you'd be great at it. Um, what, so what else have you, you been up to since we last heard from you? Uh, Lord, work. Uh, you know, it, it's kind of strange. I, I, my son, moved, he, was, he graduated high school uh, last June, moved in with me. He lived with his mother. We've you know, been apart for many, many years. Uh, and for ever since he was four months old, I used to travel every weekend or every other weekend just to spend time with him. So, you know, your life, you know, you work all week and you're traveling, you know, putting a thousand miles a weekend on your car. You can't keep a car for more than two years. You're always busy. You have no real other life except for work and, and that, which is, I think, your children and the example that you are become for them, you know, uh, is more important than anything. So then he moved here with me, and I got him a job. He was working with the local labor union, Local 79. He was getting up at 4 o'clock, training, exercising. And it was kind of a dream. I always had to have my kids with me, right? So he just joined the Air Force and took off two weeks ago. (laughs) Wow. And you've been talking about that, but it's got to be something surreal when it really happens and he's no longer there. Yeah, it's it's not just not being there, but they make a phone call when they first arrive. You know, because they fly him out to... Lackland Air Force Base for their basic training. And I'm here, I'm okay. And then their next phone call comes at the end of four weeks. So they take away all the electronics. And, and he doesn't even get a Christmas or visitors, which I get it. But the, you know, being the dad that I've always been, you know, it's like, holy crap, he's really gone. He's really grown up. <laughs> so, so I know he's going to do well. And so his phone call just before he... Uh, locked down he called me up he said dad you know we're here you don't have to worry about me and you know we can always i think we overuse i love you yeah you know i hear that so much yeah i'm not excited about it right i'd rather hear something that's real because you know me ian when i talk it's pretty real and pretty oh yeah i mean i'm i'm going back to the speech that you gave at jack's wedding yeah that was a very real speech i'm glad you remember that that's nice i mean it, it was great yeah so he, you know, I guess a chip off the old block, you know, he didn't get all his looks from me. He got better better <laughs> looks from his mom, but he did get a lot of dad. But what was really cool, instead of saying, oh, I love you, I miss you, write letters or whatever, he says, Dad, don't worry about a thing, man, I got this. He says, I just want to thank you for preparing me. And I'm like, wow. And for me, that, I don't, hear, I don't need to ever hear anything else. You know, that's, that's, cool. that's getting to the mountaintop, right? So. D- did you initially ask him why Air Force as an <laughs> Army guy? No, I pushed him to the Air Force for the last two years. Uh, He's always wanted to be, you know, he comes from a long lineage of special forces. Uh, You, your brother, right? Me, my brothers, my cousins, his grandfather from his mother's side was, you know, Mac V, SOG in Vietnam, and he was highly decorated. He's passed away. So he just comes from a long lineage of that, and... I want to be like you, Dad, when I grow up. And I've always had this argument. Uh, call, you know, he calls himself Frank. I call him Richard. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So I always said, no, I don't want you to be like me. You know, all these parents say, I want my son and my daughter to be like me. I want him to be like him. You know, so if you want to be a special ops guy, you know, Air Force, Navy, Marines, Army, they all have their own brand of special ops, and they all got to pay 
heavy physical and mental price, you know, to get on board. Onboarding is always tough. It's meant to be. I wanted to buy a little time. I didn't want to go out there, you know, put itself through all this mess and lay in the dirt, in the mud, in the jungle, in the sand, especially in the desert because, you know, they've got 7 million landmines over there that the people that put them down, half of them aren't alive and the rest of them don't know where they are. Suicide bombers. That's my other kid. And you know, I had another son that was murdered almost 15 years ago. So I want him to get off to a safe and smart, you know, start. And, you know, every war that I've ever been in, like when I went to Desert Storm during Desert Shield, 24-7, it felt like a little earthquake tremors all the time because the Air Force was conditioning the battlefield. They're bombing the mess out of these guys all day and all night long, just prepping the battlefield. So when we breached the, uh, you know, uh, when we launched for the, through the breach points, we could pretty much just move straight through with little resistance. So I was just bombing the mess out of them. And I told my son, I said, before we joined, I said, look, it was the final argument. So if you want to kill guys and <laughs> be like, you know, fly a friggin' drone, <laughs> sit in Las Vegas, you know, go out and do, you know, fly a few missions, make yourself feel good, go out and have a few adult beverages and chase women. I said, you know, and, and take your time to get in shape and really make sure that the special ops is what you want, you yeah. know, but be yourself first. And that's, you know, any parent, any kid, you know, we are our own legacy. Why, why do we want our kids to live our life? It just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, they should be whatever they're good at, you know, and, I don't know what he's good at, but he's a great kid. So yeah, that's very true. Yeah. You think future Soprup guest once he comes and visits home? Absolutely, he'd be cool to have on. Yeah. I, I've never met him. I mean, I've hung with you countless times, but I've never met him. He's a very cool kid, and his manual dexterity with knives and stuff is off the Richter scale. Because I've been training him since he was very young. So, but you've told me, you know, you've said it on the show. His personality type is not like you. He's not on edge. He's not quick to get into a fight with someone. Or no, he's just. Very cool, engaging, laid back, smart. Just he doesn't get excited. He doesn't, I don't even know if he gets mad or not. And which, to be fair, if I, you know, I don't know the old Jim West, and I feel oh. like the the guy that I know is is not some crazy aggressive guy. You know, you you can be if you have to be, but I I think you're you're a pretty laid back guy at this stage in your life. I, I would say. Yeah, you know, you, you ever see the, the picture of the duck floating across water and little feet just paddling like crazy underneath? Sure. <laughs> I think guys like me that, you know, battle PTSD and, you know, I've seen a lot of tragedy and been, been in the mix most of his life, you know, in and out of the military. You know, every day it's, it's, it's a challenge, you know, just to get up and say, uh, please don't let me get in trouble. <laughs> <You know? laughs> because the truth is... I think we are who we are. Yeah. And, you, you know, you ever watch that movie, The Purge? <laughs> no, I've heard of it. Yeah, you know, they go out once a year or once a month, and they get to you know, get rid of, of the yeah, riffraff. Yeah. Now, you know, there's always riffraff. And, and I, I used to joke before that movie ever came out because I get really angry. I'm like, ah, we should have one day a year where we just go out and get rid of this trash, you know, because sometimes there's just some people out there, you know, the, every time you turn on the TV, they're mugging. I mean, just this morning, some guy's, mugging 95 year old ladies on you know an apartment i mean what the hell is that that's trash i don't care if he's white if he's black if he's green it doesn't make a shit to me excuse my language but this is soft rep radio if uh if you have to watch your language yeah. we, we're in big trouble so he's a perfect candidate for an axe handle across the shin bones, right? <laughs> but uh why waste your time you know putting him in jail re- i mean you know so when i get up every day i 
I get confronted. I mean, I work around the union, iron workers all the time for it, and carpenters and, you know, just union trades are a very prideful group of people. And, you know, when you challenge them at work, sometimes it can get a little rough. And four and five, six, eight years ago, that's, you know, I was in the, felt like I was in a battlefield. And we've worked through that now, you know, so that, uh, you know, more collaborative, easier to get along. So during that process, you know, just it's that constant everyday battle of overcoming these uh, aggressions, anger that you have inside. And anymore, I don't just get mad because, look, I was driving down the street and this uh, Puerto Rican guy, uh, you know, it's like a gridlock day and he had a big brown van and he had a tattoo on his arm. He looked pretty strong and he's about 35 to 40 and he's hanging out his window. He's trying to cut me off from the passenger side. He's giving me this evil look and we ain't moving anywhere. Trying to get in the Lincoln Tunnel. So I, I rolled down, you know, electronically my passenger window, and he's almost in the in the window. <laughs> and I was like, "Come on, dude, just get it out. Tell tell me what's bugging you. Just just give me all you got." And he looked at me and smiled. He goes, "Yeah, you're a pretty cool guy." Go, go ahead. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, if you're confident with your ability, you know, because when I was young, I was testing my abilities. Now I've been in enough scrapes throughout my life, in and out of the ring and the gyms, that. I know that no one on earth is, unless you just sneak up and uh, shoot me in when I'm not looking, uh, you're never going to get in a fight with me, even if you win or lose, without getting, you know, marked up a little bit. So, you, you know, it's never going to be just a fun time. And, and with that in the back of my mind, knowing that I know what I know, I, I find some comfort in just being able to talk people down in a different way, you know, and, and it allows me to relax, just, just become the guy you know now. I, I couldn't find the quote, but I was Googling a little, a little there as you were talking because um, there was some Arnold Schwarzenegger uh, quote about how people have become divorced from their bodies and when they're not doing something physical, they get cut off in traffic and it's, you know, that, that um, you know, dopamine rush and all that. Yeah. Is, because they're not doing anything physical in their day. They're just sitting in their ass all day. Like, that's the big thing that sets them off the edge. So it reminded me of you saying that. Because um, I think when someone is pissed off at traffic, I see it. They're not really pissed off at that. It's something else in their lives. I even notice it with the people who are constant. I, I, you know, the people who tweet me nonstop, uh, there's a few of them about what's going on with Trump and their anger about everything. I don't think their anger is necessarily at Trump. Their anger is about something else in their lives. And it's not even just the people, you know, it's it's important to be informed. Well, you let, like, politics eat you up inside. You're staying awake at night. You're tweeting out every article that you could find. I think a lot of the times that anger is something completely unrelated, and you need to um, you need to channel that with something else. And, and I'm not pissed off at my life. I'm pissed <laughs> off at who the president is. And you, you know what yeah, I mean? Yeah, well, the blame game is, uh, you know, it's probably not going to go away anytime soon, but with my son. I always tell him, I said, if you ever feel, ever since he's very young, I said, look, if you ever feel mad and you want to know what you're mad about, go look at yourself in the mirror. Yeah. Because ultimately it's your inability, your you know, inconsistencies, your lack of confidence. There's some part of you that, you that you're placing judgment on yourself that's causing you to be frustrated to a point where you just want to release it you know, on someone else. And, and the saying that I used to, I've heard that I, I kind of subscribe to now that he who makes you angry owns you. Mm. And there's also that quote I've heard before that it's like the, uh, I don't, I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like the problem isn't the problem. It's the way that you're handling the problem. 
Yeah. You, you know, because usually, usually the things that we get upset about are pretty minor. Right. But we, you know, the way that we handle it, it becomes this major issue. It's always that straw, you know, yeah. that broke the camel's back, you know. And I think people, you know, you relate to this more than anyone. Like, I think when people are physically active, they're running, they're, they're going to the gym, they're, they're doing jujitsu, they're boxing, whatever, they're lifting weights, whatever it may be, um, they're able to handle that everyday stress a lot better. So I had a friend of mine back in the 70s that owned a gym. And, you know, the same group of people you're talking about, he, he had a pretty cool idea. He had these two big trash cans, 55-gallon drums, all nice and shiny right outside the front door with a sign over top that says, leave ego here. Mm. So, you know, it, the, the Chinese mindset is this ego-less mindset that allows you to relax and think your way through things. Uh, in the training aspect of self-defense, street fighting, work fighting in a gym, you know, we use an old, old saying that says that uh, learn a lot and use a little. You know, like if you only have one thing to draw from under fire, you're going to panic a lot quicker than a guy that's got 100 options to draw from because your mind slows down while you select these options. You, ever, you watch these movies where, you know, a gunfight starts, everything kind of goes into slow motion. That's because the guy's got some training, some skill, and he's yeah. got a lot to draw from. So, you know, people that just do one or two things and think that that's the top of the pyramid – and then they get put under stress. I, I wrote a thing down. I'll show you. Yeah. For my son, and I, 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 and I put it in my wallet two months ago. And what? So what is that? It says uh, you have to uh, push yourself to know yourself. And he wrote that. I did. I was talking okay. to him about anger, actually, and because uh, he's just, I said things are going to happen in your life, boy. That, you know. You got to deal with, right? And I said, and you don't want, the only way you ever get to deal with yourself, remember, look in the mirror, is to know yourself. And the only way you're going to know yourself is to push yourself. I like that. I write it down, right? So I wrote that down. It still sits there today. He said, well, what do you mean? I said, listen, if you feel like you're angry or pissed off, I don't care if you're in the gym, street, whatever, go, it work. Go in the bathroom and do 50 push ups. And if you can do 50, do five more, do 10 more. Go out and run 10 miles. If you can't run 10, run five, and then run one more. I said, the moment you take yourself, dopamine, this, that, to where you're physically at the edge of what you think you can do and you do one more, two more, do that one more mile, right, psychologically, and it puts you into a mindset that just calms you down because you start looking inward at that point in time. And when you do that, everything else just seems easy. It helps you sleep better, too, right? I've noticed that. Nothing helps me sleep. <laughs> really? Oh, yeah, I know you. You have the TV on blast. That's, uh, but I could tell you last night, I, I had... Uh, you remember. I, I always remember. Uh, but I had all these thoughts going through my head. I always do of, like, all these plans I want to do. And even, you know, I don't, I don't uh, get nervous about doing interviews because I do them so much. But, uh, like, I don't write out questions in advance. But I'm constantly thinking, like, okay, I have Liz Carmucci on tomorrow we got to get into this. we got to talk about this type of thing. Uh, so I, I did a late-night workout last night, and I, I figured when I got home I'd have, like, all these thoughts. But by the time I was home and, and just, you know, ate – I actually ate a can of tuna, did, did my Bub's Naturals, plug for them. All right. Because he's come on the show. Um, <laughs> uh, nice. Which money goes to the Glenn Doherty Foundation, so I've been checking out their stuff, and I'm, I'm into it. Uh, yeah, by the time I was done with all that, I was like, all right, I'm ready to pass out here. I, I didn't have time to think about anything else. So 
I, I think when you're doing like these strenuous workouts, at least for me, it helps me sleep. And, no, it, it definitely does, you know, but you, you got to have time to cool down too, right? Not yeah. just take all that excess energy straight to bed. You'll never sleep. Oh, no. Uh, I, and I do the sauna too. After, well, sauna's so. good. So, so I'll, I'll wrap myself out for the soft rep listeners today. Uh, uh, 20 years ago or so, I got in a little street scuffle. And the judge said I had to go to six months of anger management. <laughs> so This could be a reality show. This is a reality show. <laughs> so I go in there thinking, okay, I'm the baddest guy on the planet. I'm mean. I can do all kinds of stuff. I've done all kinds of crap. These idiots in here, they don't know shit. I'm sitting around a group therapy, right? I'm not good in group therapy. So I got to sit there for six months, and I'm hating just breathing in this room. And so they have what they call a hot seat. So they grab somebody that's been there a while and says, okay, you're going to have to tell everybody what, what brought you here. And so this well-dressed Afro-American fellow, sounded like an English literature major, he goes, so it was his turn. It was my first day, and he'd been there for a while. He says, well, you know, life has been a little rough. Uh, my wife kind of set me off one night a few months ago. Uh, I said, so what, what happened? And he explained, you know, that... Uh, she had signed the title. Her, her mother had a, a gambling debt and was doing drugs, so she had signed the, the deed to his uh, $450,000 house over to, she did, to her mother, his mother-in-law. And when he found out about it, he kind of flipped out. Yeah. And uh, so, 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 you know, so what happened when you, when you flipped out? He goes, apparently has a, when you go through the foyer in the front of his house, it's a big glass front, and you, the upper floor has this big grand piano. He said, well, the first thing I did was shove the piano right through the front, <laughs> through the front window from the second floor. <laughs> I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I don't even need to be here at all. I don't have an anger issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. I wonder what happened to the grand piano. It was trashed, yeah. You know. did it, I wanted like, you think about here in the city, you do that, it's going to land on someone, there's going to be a lawsuit. Oh, well, yeah. Uh, my vision was it wasn't in the city. Yeah, but, I would uh, think so. Yeah, and when I sat there and listened, and it was kind of funny, and there was one guy that I, I, I snooped out and the whole crowd was just wanting attention. He he said he was an Air Force Ranger, and he was late, and he was a sniper and all this stuff. And I knew right away whatever he was, he was lying. Yeah. So then they got to see my anger because I picked him up by the throat and shoved him in a wall. and <laughs> In the middle of anger, man. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they liked that. They let him go for a minute, you know, and it's like, ah, this guy's fucking lying. So, I love yeah. it. But anyway. But <laughs> and, that, now, and, and now you really, I don't think, have any anger issues from what I've seen. I don't, I don't get mad. I, I use New York traffic to quail my anger. If you can just sit in New York traffic five days a week trying to get through the Lincoln Tunnel at five or six o'clock in the afternoon, you can do anything. <laughs> yeah, so I, that's why I take the uh, the train for me from Long Island. I, I don't want to sit in that. Um, all right, so really quick, I wanted to talk about an article on softrep.com just because it had significance to when we're recording this. Um, tomorrow will be the 20th, but today is the 19th. Uh, you know, let me double-check that, right? I'm, Today's the 19th. Today's the 19th, so it'll be tomorrow. Um, you know, you'll, you'll hear about this. But Luke, one of our uh, writers, Luke Ryan, newer writer, wrote, and a copy editor, on uh, December 19th, 1972, a command module came careening back into Earth's atmosphere, deployed its parachutes, and landed in the Pacific Ocean at 2.25 p.m. The USS uh, Tick, if I'm pronouncing this right, Ticonderoga? Ticonderoga. Okay. 
I, I got it then. <laughs> An Essex class aircraft carrier that has since been decommissioned and scrapped was located only four miles away, and they picked up the three astronauts, safely bringing them aboard. They had completed the final mission of the Apollo program, Apollo 17. So I just thought that was a cool, um, noteworthy thing to mention on this day. And as you were saying, you know, we'll hopefully see more space missions. Yeah, oddly enough, the, my my stepfather who adopted me at uh, nine years old uh, served on the Ticonderoga in uh, the Korean conflict, which oh wow, was kind of interesting that you just brought that up. But yeah, I, I think two days ago I heard, or yesterday maybe, that Trump uh, is you know going to beef up our space program once again and maybe send people back to the moon and. Uh, long-term plans to send people to Mars. So, yeah, I think it's a great time, you know. That, uh, and, and it was a good article, good catch, you know, because most people wouldn't even think about that. So Yeah, it's interesting when you see um, how long it's been since we've landed someone on the moon. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you, you'll drive into politics, you know. Uh, this, I, I, I get a little miffed. I do get miffed, right, when I think about the progressive path that we've been on long before Obama and the Clintons, you know, back from Woodrow Wilson. Yeah. Every time I drive over the Woodrow Wilson bridge, I think <laughs> they should rename it. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, it's got a guard tower that's unmanned. I figure that's going to get manned one day. Uh, because, you know, if, if, if you listen to Obama enough, we're cutting down on this, but we're picking up on technology and it's just sucking money out of our taxpayers for bullshit. You know I mean? Physical feet on the ground anywhere, it, it, it's just better you know, than theory. Yeah, and I think there's always been, um, you know, from what I've heard, uh, this is one of those opinions people have had, was that Bush was very good on the space program, Obama was not. Um, I've even heard people on the left say that. Uh, but there's always this argument about, like, you know, we have poverty in America, we have all these issues, why are we spending money on a space program? But I think technologically and and the benefits that could come out of it from the long term, it's important to have a good space program. And, and also, like I hear about Elon Musk and SpaceX and all these things that they're doing, it, I think it's all great, and I'm a guy who believes in the private sector, but like you do need the government to be behind a good space program. It can't all be done in the private sector. Oh, yeah. I mean, what I've been following recently is the the laser technology, uh, the ability to shoot down, uh, hypothetically, a North Korean or Iranian nuclear missile with a laser beam. That sounds like uh, the the Star Wars program that Reagan said, which we didn't really have, right? Well, well, this is way beyond that. You can look it up online. It's, yeah. They even have airborne platforms that actually work already. It's pretty badass stuff, you know. It's so, crazy. So stuff like that's very important, you know, uh, to me. Um, so when I saw Harry, that Harry Reid recently siphoned off $22 million for UFO uh, research, yeah, it's just another way for the elite group to and the progressives to... Uh, siphon more money out of the taxpayer. You know, our priorities are wrong. You know, yes, for space exploration, no to Harry Reid and his, you know, UFO research for 22 million bucks. I mean, listen, if, if they come and land on the planet, we'll probably know about it pretty quick. Yeah. <laughs> you know? But uh, they just put so much crap in these bills so they can just put money in their pocket. Yeah, for sure. But anyway. Um so I guess with that, we might as well get over to Liz Carmooch. I'm, I'm really excited for this. Um, and 
hopefully we have a lot of new people listening who, who aren't familiar with what we do because I know Liz has a lot of fans and I always say there's a lot of crossover between MMA and the UFC and what we do, especially what you do, Jim. Yeah. So let's get over to it. So joining us for the first time on Soft Rep Radio is Liz Carmooch. I actually interviewed Liz a while back uh, for SiriusXM. We did this veteran special, ah. and I was thinking it's like a natural fit to have Liz on Soft Radio, especially with you, Jim, with your background. Um, so it's, it's an honor to have you on. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So the first thing I figured is the the tie-in with SoftRep is that Liz is a former Marine. I mean, everybody knows you from the UFC and what you've done in MMA and your training. But uh, let's get into your background growing up and and becoming a Marine. Uh, I grew up in Okinawa, Japan. That's where I spent about 17 years of my life. Um, and you see the influences there. You see the different uh, branches of the military. And not only did I, I went to school off base, but I worked on base. So I got to see and work with all the different branches and kind of see them for who they were, not only in their professional work environment, but also on the when they're out in town and just enjoying themselves. And uh, the Marine Corps is really what always shined through for me. They were exemplary in everything that they did. Like if you had a Marine that got in trouble drinking, somebody else snatched him up, took him back on base, and you never saw an incident. Um, most physically fit, most professionals, everything that they embodied that I wanted to be. And seeing some of the other branches there, a little bit sloppier, wasn't really my deal. Um, and I kind of had in my head to do do the military for a long time. I thought, I'm like, oh, I'm going to, I'll join the Air Force and play soccer for the military or do something along those lines. And as I got to know the military more, I was like, yeah, I'm not going to go to school that long to be an officer, so that's not an option. <laughs> So uh, Marine Corps is definitely what, what sticks out to me. And I wanted to go in as uh, special forces or go in as a grunt that obviously didn't work out being a female. Uh, so I joined from Okinawa, Japan, went straight to Hawaii to MEPS, from MEPS all the way to Paris Island. And the rest has been history. Yeah, that sounds good. So one, I want to thank you for your service as well. And I, I did a quick uh, Wikipedia search and you spent three tours already, huh? And, and I did. I did three tours to Iraq. That's freaking awesome. I got a good friend of mine who did the same thing you did. I spoke to him yesterday, and he's uh, my age. I'm in my 60s now, but uh, he's sitting in 81-degree weather by his poolside down in Florida <laughs> and giving me shit, but uh, good guy. Uh, so a couple of things real quick. You know, I used to train with Joe Lewis years ago, and he's a former Marine. He studied in Okinawa in 1963. <laughs> Which shows how far back you go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and when I went to the combat diver course, uh, my dive buddy was a force recon guy. And I got when 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 Liz talks about physically fit, you know, when you think you're physically fit, the Marines have you, you know you always hear about Navy, and you've heard me say this before: Navy SEALs, and I and I'm one. You know, a, a Special Forces, Green Beret, Combat Diver, right? I'm not an ABC, I'm a combat diver in the Special Forces community, but, uh, and, and it, listen, not to take anything away from anybody, but these two guys that came in from uh, the Force Recon were like physical freaks, and uh, I was pretty impressed. I thought I was the fastest guy on the planet until uh, my partner showed up, and it was a tug of war going through the water on a buddy, buddy line, you know, so he, he was an animal, and, and I got nothing but nothing but mad respect for these guys, and, and you as well, Liz, because... Yeah, I know. I know for sure. Paris Island is not a cakewalk. <laughs> no, especially that was my my first time really being stateside. Uh, I spent a few summers in Alaska as a kid, 
but really Alaska isn't part of the United States. It's not even the same. It's yeah. its own little embodiment off on its, on its own. Uh, so it was my first time being stateside and really experiencing all the seasons. I went uh, through August through November. So I got to experience the last part of the intense summer into winter climate with snow and stuff. And I had never experienced snow. So here I am. It's like, Oh, yeah. this is horrible. 50 degrees below <laughs> zero. This is great. Uh, and of course, in boot camp, they're like, oh, you can sleep under your blanket, but you have to wake up an hour early to make it. And I was like, nah, it's okay. I'll just sleep at attention on the top of my rack and just enjoy the sleep. It's not worth it. I'll freeze. I'll take freezing. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It's a it's a different uh, different uh, level of pridefulness that with the Marine Corps, you know. And I, e- even though I'm an Army guy, I've always respected that. And I, I, my son just joined the Air Force, and I respect that as well. You know, I just I appreciate anybody that serves and takes their time. You know, so thank you. And then, uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> you know, as far as the fight game and having you on, it's pretty cool. Uh, I the guys I trained with through the years. Uh, if you go back and look at the American karate stuff, I worked with Jerry Pennington and Danny Wilson, Joe Lewis, Bill Superfoot Wallace, and uh, all those guys. And it came out of the you know Joe Lewis. Uh, and Bruce Lee and all that crowd. And two of, two of those guys had degrees in kinesiology, and I, I saw that you're studying to get your degree in kinesiology. And I got to tell you, all these fight principles and motion and how muscles work and recoil and, you know, uh, single extremity motion and conservation of angular momentum, it came from people like you that actually studied this mess. Uh, I've learned, you know, I have this amazing ability to... Uh, absorb what you put out really quick because I just do it through repetition. But, uh, yes, it's what you're doing, that path that's going to set you apart in the future. Yeah, you know, I think that more and more you're seeing a lot of UFC fighters that have an education. I think I know, especially for myself, when I first looked into fighting, it to me was street thugs that were doing it in front of people for for money as entertainment. And and that's kind of how I thought about it. Um, But now more and more you see fighters that have PhDs, MDs, they have college education and they're intelligent uh, people. And we, we study fighting because it's all encompassing. Um, I mean, I played soccer and the only thing you have to focus on is just being a good runner and being able to, to do certain things with the soccer ball. Whereas in MMA, it's chess. You have to understand your opponent. You have to understand your strengths, your weaknesses and study all of these different martial arts. And if you grow stagnant for a single second, you fall back in the game. And that to me is a lot of fun. I like something that's constantly making me evolve and grow and pushing me to new levels. Uh, yeah, true enough. I mean, I told my uh, son who I've actually trained uh, since he was very young, and, uh, you know, when he'd see a street fight, a thug, you know, some, I said, I'd always tell him, his name's Richard. I said, Richard, listen to me. All these world champions, uh, they, they're interesting people. They, most of them are highly intellectual guys. Comedians and fighters are some of the smartest people in the world. And uh, you would never know that unless you said, when I, I used to travel with uh, Joe Lewis and, and help train him when uh, he did his over 40 comeback. And, uh, he would sit there with a dictionary all day long, and he would study, t- pick up three new words every day, write them, learn them, just nonstop, you know, just constant study. And, yeah, that's cool. And, uh, I'm glad you rec- – you're one of the few people that actually talk about it and, and have entered because you realize that early, at least in my opinion. Some of the guys are smart and they just got into it, right? But it looks like <laughs> you're, you're – going. I'm not saying you're never smart, but you're going through – your, your path is – one of the more logical paths, and it's, and it's not easy. And, and I tell you, I'm really impressed 
by anybody who takes that road, you know? Oh, thank you. Yeah. So getting in, into your background with MMA, um, you know, it's interesting that you did say early on that people looked at MMA fighters as these street thugs, and, and now we see where it is. I remember growing up, because you're, you know, a couple years older than me. I remember the first UFC. It was like this no-holds-barred type thing, and it was, it was like, scary for people to see. They didn't know what to expect of this whole thing. And now it's become a lot more respected of a sport. But especially when you went in as a women's MMA fighter, there was no women's UFC. You were in the first women's UFC match, of course. Like, what drives you to want to do this? Because it definitely wasn't anything at the time that people saw as a lucrative career as a woman. Yeah, the the biggest driving factor for me was wanting that that challenge to be the best. I mean, there are certainly opportunities where you can make quick money, go for these fights. And there's some local shows where I knew that skill-wise, I had picked up a lot more than some of the people I would be facing. And it'd be an easy win. But to me, that's just basically being a bully. If you have the education, you have the skill and the strength, and you're going to go against somebody that doesn't just to win, that's that's just being a bully. There's no advantage. I don't come out of it going, yeah, I won. I feel so good about myself. I go, yeah, I should have won because I have all these at my advantage. I better win this fight. And I always wanted to just compete against the best, whether it was lucrative or not. The idea of being the best in the world, I want to be the best. I don't want to go against easy wins, easy people where it's a guarantee. I want to know that I challenge myself to be the best person I could possibly be, the best fighter, and that I'm going against somebody that's doing the same thing. And that we get in there and on our best of days or our worst of days, we put on a performance and give everything we have to see who's going to come out on top. And that's always been the driving factor for fighting for me. When did your background in, in martial arts in general begin? I, I kind of dibble dabbled a little bit with different forms of karate when I was a kid, but the attention, I had no attention span. I it was like, Oh, okay. I want to be a, a rocket scientist today. Tomorrow. I want to play soccer. <laughs> the next day I want to get Taekwondo and there was no keeping up with me. I don't know how my mom ever did it because <laughs> her deal was always, it had to be a balance. I could do any aggressive sport in martial art, but I had to have a soft balance for it. So I did Taekwondo for maybe a month, but I also had to do ballet for a month. So there's always <laughs> something, a give and a take with that. And uh, it's, it's natural, of course, in Okinawa, you see all those things. But I was always attracted to martial arts, but never had the attention span to follow through with it. I ended up playing uh, team sports all growing up, mostly soccer. And it wasn't again until I was in the Marine Corps and about to get out and doing different work. I was just lifting and running. I'm like, man, this is so boring. I can, I've already tested to see how jacked I can get, how much weight I can gain, how much I can max out. And then I wanted to see how thin I could get by just running all the time and just being a cross country runner. And so I kind of tested out both fields and I'm like, you know, that's not, I don't feel challenged. I feel like I was able to do that. Both were easy, but I'm not really getting anything out of it. And a few people I worked with had told me to check out MMA. Like, look, you know, your attention span, you're naturally aggressive. You're naturally competitive. Uh, some of the stuff that we do for the training, in the Marine Corps, I was always pushing to be the best of it. Like, you really should check out MMA. I'm like, I don't know anything about MMA. I looked it up, and the first fight I ever saw was gory, bloody. I was like, are you kidding me? This is entertainment to you guys? No. Like, this is just two street fighters that would be blooding each other up, just put inside as entertainment. I'm like, no, this is disgusting. I can't condone this. I can't believe you guys watch this. Uh, and so I was like, look, 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 you saw the worst fights to start with. Just why don't you just look up some of the, the workouts and the diet and stuff? So I look out the workouts, and I'm like, all right. These are pretty good. Like, I'm, I'm feeling challenged. I like this. The diet's pretty cool. All right. 
And then realized when I got back from Iraq that I wanted to actually try and pursue a little bit more. I started getting into watching fighting out there and uh, saw Cyborg. And I was convinced that I could fight Cyborg, not realizing we're not even close to the same weight class. <laughs> it took me seeing her at Strike Force and looking at her and going, oh, yeah, I'm like half your size. <laughs> I guess I'm fighting at one point in time. But at the time, like I had no concept of what my body's limitations and, and abilities were. I just knew that I, I wanted to try it. And my dream was Cyborg was the top you could get and the most competitive you could get. And that's where I wanted to go. I was like, I can show everybody I can beat Cyborg. Um, and got into training, fell in love with it off right off the bat, breaking my nose, hair ripped out, clothes ripped, and I was hooked. <laughs> so, so you think Holly Holmes stands a chance <laughs> against Cyborg? I think she does. I think uh, Holly does because she has competed at 145 before and because her stand-up is, is really good. But Cyborg is a whole different creature. She's on a whole different playing field from other people. She, uh, I know Cyborg. She's a sweetheart outside of the cage, but she is ruthless in there and she gives everything she has. And that balance, I think, is exactly what, what drives her to be so good. Yeah, that's awesome. So I was looking uh, – Liz, I was looking at uh, – first of all, Ian always uh, – when these fights come up, he goes, hey, Jim, who's going to win? Because I'm really good at predicting the outcome of fights uh, based on a number of things that I look at <laughs> when I see a fighter. I mean, when I was learning how to referee fights, many, 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 you weren't even born yet. Joe Lewis, <laughs> you know, had me, was getting training me to become a referee, and I go travel around, and we're sitting at ringside and watch two guys beat the crap out of each other. And he's like, so why is this guy winning? Who's going to win? And I start trying to break this fight down. He goes, Jim, there's only two things a fighter brings into the ring. I go, what's that? He goes, offense and defense. And if either one are lacking, they're in trouble. I go, okay. So, but, uh, so we used to do a lot of study, you know, on fighters. And uh, so I took about a 20-minute scan before this interview at, uh, based on Wikipedia only, and I watched a couple of your video clips. And, you know, it's funny. And, and I should throw out there, Jim, it's right. not like you just went on Wikipedia. You like you regularly watch UFC, so you watched her last fight. You, oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I watch a lot of stuff, and and uh, it, it's. I just think fighting is so interesting to see how people survive. You know? and, and to Liz's point, it's about being the best you can be. And, and I like when Perry, do you watch Perry lose this last weekend, Liz? No, I didn't. I mean, uh -huh. this, this guy's an animal, but he was fighting the wrong fight completely. He was fighting a long fight. You know, he's giving up two inches in reach and two inches in height against a guy that can do five rounds. And uh, Perry's, he's just not there yet. So, I mean, he's gonna, his, his next fight's going to be really interesting how they match him up. But when I looked at yours, your first 10, and I, and I have this crazy memory, uh, crazy memory. I can glance at stuff and it never goes away. But I looked at your first 10 fights before the UFC, and you were just, like you said, in your mind, bully. I don't think you're a bully, but you, you, you rapidly grew out of that class. And I had a big a question for me. Is the class of fighters in the UFC different than your previous UFC experiences? And previous with, MMA experiences. Right. And with, that, and with that said, I noticed that you have one opponent that's beat you twice, and she's barely beaten you, if at all. And you're going, you know, so you're you're getting three rounds out of each and every one of these, your last six fights. You, you know, you're you're right on the verge of, and, and you went from decision, you know, uh, de, you know, from a unanimous decision to a split decision. So you're you're if you attract and trend your progress, 
you're actually getting better all the time. You're one or two steps from whatever you think you want to be, in my opinion, with just a couple of minor adjustments. I'm, I, and it's easy to see if you could chart that, to, you know, like on a, it, it's, what you're doing is pretty, pretty amazing. And I know you're owning your own gym and, and you're dealing with the kids and the, the peaceful philosophy and all that. You know, that's got to tear you a little bit because what you're doing, it's hard to get a lot of those kids in there with that mentality that's going to put them in a ring. So, I mean, you're taking on so much. It's amazing that you're, you're actually trending in a really positive direction for people that look at where you're headed. You know, it is, it is pretty difficult to balance everything. Um, but also we were just talking about the other day, somebody suggested, Oh, why don't you take a vacation and just relax? I don't know how to sit still and relax. So boring and I can't possibly fathom what to do. Like I was feeling, we had a few people that are out sick and I was feeling a little bit under the weather over the weekend. And uh, my business partner was like, Hey, just, just take Saturday off. And instinctually, I just drove to work. He told me just to take the day off, but it's instinct. So I realized, like, what are you doing here? I'm like, I don't know. I, I don't know how to sit at home and just relax and just be still. That is um, your. That is also, the way you relax. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I also have the a really great support system. Uh, my business partner, not only is he my business partner, but he's my friend. I consider him family. But he's also my head coach, uh, Bill Bill Crawford. So he helps out with everything for my strength and conditioning from letting me beat him up with, with techniques and just destroying his body, uh, to being a mentor when it comes to the business side of things. And then the staff that we have, everybody there, not only are they, their staff and they're working and they're teaching classes, but they're also training partners. So I take everything from them and everybody was just so supportive, especially in this fight, but they always are like, I'm like, okay, guys, I need to take a few days to really grind in training. We got you. We'll take care of you. And then I have my fiance who also helps me out. So with those balances, I don't think that I could be where I'm at if I didn't have all these people in my life that are helping me to be the best I can be as a fighter and as a person. That's great. So tell us actually a little bit about the the training school that you have. Uh, so I have uh, three schools. I have 10th Planet, oh, wow. Mission Valley, Spring Valley, and Oceanside. And Oceanside being the newest one. Um we have, we're, we were San Diego Combat Academy, and then the 10th Planet system just blew up so much. I mean, everybody's familiar with Joe Rogan and Eddie Bravo. Yeah, and, and, and everybody loves everybody, Eddie Bravo's uh, conspiracy theories on everything. <laughs> He's exactly. like a flat earther, I uh, believe. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we were fortunate enough that uh, Richie Martinez fought one of our fighters, and it was the first time he'd ever thrown down an MMA fight and ever had to actually struggle. He's like, well, I don't know what you guys did. He's like, usually I submit everybody within the first 10 seconds. And it went all the way to decision. Uh, and he's like, yeah, I've never experienced that before. He's like, whatever you guys are doing, I want to be a part of it. So we started just having a come through and training with us. And uh, we'd offer him like, hey, why don't you treat, teach a few classes? Like you have a different jujitsu style that's been working so successfully for you. Maybe just teach us a few things if we can't help each other. And then it turned into... He's the head black belt at our school. He runs Mission Valley. His brother now is a head black belt at Oceanside. Uh, he's produced a black belt, PJ Barch, that's the head out of Spring Valley. And it's just blown up for 10th plane. I mean, we now have Alima Lay McFarlane, who's a 125 Bellator champion as well as combat jiu-jitsu champion. So she's my main training partner. And she's been produced from all of our efforts. And 10th Planet has just grown so substantially. We couldn't possibly have projected where it was going to go with everything. 
no, that's awesome. I, I, I'm just sitting here thinking, you know, because like, like I said, I, I always, you know, we are always critics when we're outside the ring. And I'm not, I would, you, you have so many weapons and so much energy and strength and drive. And that Marine Corps background, I suspect, has a lot to do with that as well. But I, I, one of my friends says, what would you do different? I said, well, I wouldn't do much different with her. If, but the one thing you can't teach is patience. When I watch you fight, you want to you want to kill them right away, you, you know. You, <laughs> the, you, you know the only thing I see is during that transition, it, it's it's sometimes it's so fast. I'm not sure that you know things don't happen by mistake, and your opponent might get a little you know momentary advantage. But if if you could slow down a half a second, you're so you're so anxious, to and you, and most people that that fight with your level of anxiousness cannot last like you do your 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 endurance is sick in a good way very positive but if i could teach you anything in the world i said just patience i used to tell my fighters and back when i used to train fighters like when you hit the if if you go down on the ground or whatever i I would tell them that you know it's always position before performance and a lot of times we'll feel that opening you're so smooth and i think your early days of you know, taekwondo and ballet, you're so flexible that you're going to feel a lot more movement than the average person will. And you feel it and you automatically just go like a magnet, you know. And I'm not, I just, yeah, I would, everything there's positive, it's very positive. But just my advice to anybody is, you know, is, is position before performance. Sometimes, I, you know, even when I used to train and fight all my fighters all the time, I, I, I smell blood in the water, I just go right at it. And where if I just, pause for a half a second I'd have got there a lot quicker and it's kind of interesting just watch it you're you're a very interesting fighter I mean you you've got so much talent in in your mind and your body and it's really really insane it's good thank you yeah I, I get the feeling Jim is like dying to train you not no 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 you, you wanted to with uh when we had uh Tim Kennedy on well, listen. So here it is, because you guys have that ba- that military background and, and and camaraderie that I think is, oh, is yeah. cool, and and you share you know this love for martial arts. I feel you know I feel like it would be cool if you ever got the chance to train, Liz. So Liz, I started a I have a website. It's called American Extension Fighting, which really I don't do much on it. Write a few letters and stuff, but I actually have my own martial arts system trained. It's certified and sanctioned all the way back through Japan. Uh, oh, wow. I've been doing this over 50 years and Jerry Pennington is uh, the guy who put all the stuff together for me and uh, evaluated the system at every level which uh, one, one, w- w- the purpose behind this system is kind of a gap filler because there's always a gap if you're a taekwondo guy you might have weak hands if you're a, a boxer you may not be able to stop leg kicks if you're a Muay Thai guy you may sit on your, you know, your back leg too much trying to block off you know, some of the kicks. So what I do is I look at every fighter and every fight style. I've been looking at them for over 50 years. And I go, you know, there's always something that we can do better. And with that said, it's very important based off what Ian just said that one of the things I never do is take away anything that you already have. Sometimes it's about just implementation. And if it's something, taking a half a second pause before moving or, you know, uh, learning how to put your weight where it needs to be based off of what type of fighter. I can take any fighter in the world, Liz, and in the first five minutes identify exactly what kind of fighter you are. And mm-hmm. if, if, if you take Perry, 
when I said he was fighting the wrong fight, whoever, you know, all his training and stuff, I have nothing but res mad respect for him. And, and he too, because he's a badass guy, really badass guy. He's not the kind of guy you want to hook up with in that dark alley, right? But, uh, you know, if you want to be the top echelon in the direction you're heading, I, I, I don't see any reason in the world why you can't be wearing that UFC belt, for example. Just a couple of, a couple of adjustments, because what you do is all good. You know, I mean, you do a lot of good stuff and your attitude is superior by far. There are a lot of guys that get it on. Tim Kennedy, he's too much for momentum. You know, he's pushing his punches. And I, I said that before the fight, remember? Yeah. And uh, so it gets you in trouble sometimes. But he's a very strong wrestler, so he falls back. Well, if I push his punch, get in the clinch, get you on the ground, most likely I'll win. That, that heavy muscle mass and Perry's got a lot of that, too over three rounds is gonna could come back and haunt you, you know. You know, Liz is very lean and can last a lot longer. Her mind and chemistry doesn't work the same from what I can tell watching you, Liz. It's, you just you just got one gear and it's wide open. So, you know, you can you, you can use that in a lot of positive ways and you already are. So that's awesome. When we do like our sparring practice, everybody else may take like take a round off, take a rest period. I go for the entire hour and I'm always like, come on, let's go. No, 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 no breaks. I don't believe in breaks. Let's just go. This is why we're here. We're here to work. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Tap people out, send in a fresh opponent. You do all that too, right? Just stay yep. So I did some mad math <laughs> many years ago. I, I trained a couple of guys back when uh, Joe Silver used to be the photographer for the UFC and they could still knee to the head and head, but you know, one of my guys fought Randy Couture and uh, both of my guys I put in the UFC both of them beat world champions at whatever it was they did. Uh, nice. And neither one of them had any martial arts experience a year before that. Uh, so they were they're purebred athletes, and they are very strong guys. And, to, you know, well, I did some mad math, and without getting into what, how it all works, but if you want to fight three or five five-minute rounds successfully, I'll do three or five 17 minute rounds rotating partners and every time somebody taps you got another one you know so there's yep. no rest but i my formula for that success to be able to push the end of that round you know start hard and finish hard it's a philosophy there's my mm -hmm. mad math came up with 17 minute rounds so if you're just having fun on a boring day <laughs> get out there and try three 17 minute rounds and see how you feel at the end of the day We've been, I've oh, been, yeah. We do, uh, we do, we call it Shark Tank. And so you have all your sharks on the outside. The guppies are the fighters are getting ready for fights and fight camp. And you get, you go for the either 30 minutes nonstop and they just rotate out. If you tap somebody out, knock somebody out, we just keep on going. That's the awesome. Guppies, like, guppies stay, they don't get to be fresh at all. They stay in the entire time. The sharks just keep rotating out. Yeah. No, that that's exactly the right philosophy for sure. This, for the, for the actual fight itself, the fighters, for whatever reason, the 17 minutes equates to time in the ring and how you push yourself. It's uh, kind of a musical rhythm, you know, with the crescendos, the highs, the lows, giving some up, pushing at times, you know. So it's it's really interesting. But yeah, but you're doing the right stuff there for sure. 30 minutes is a long, long ride. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Liz, so I'm, I'm wondering... Uh, what your reaction has been to, you know, what happened to Ronda Rousey. As I mentioned earlier, for those who don't know, Liz was in the first ever women's UFC fight against Ronda Rousey. It looks like her fight career has ended and, you know, you're still here doing your thing. Uh, what do you think about just, you know, her experience of, of losing those two fights and 
deciding not to come back, it looks like? Uh, it was much anticipated, honestly. Um, it's fighting is all about your mentality. It's psychology. I can watch a, watch a fighter who has no skill set, no cardio, no work ethic, but they believe they're the absolute best in the entire world. And they go out and beat somebody who trained their butt off to get in that fight and has every tool available, but just because they believe it, it comes into fruition. Uh, in the same sense with Rhonda mentally, she had prepared herself to take the belt and retire undefeated. And the moment that that became challenged, she wasn't mentally prepared to overcome that. She wasn't the type of fighter that saw those weaknesses and wanted to push to be stronger in those areas. Instead, she only focused on her strengths and mentally just wasn't prepared to be defeated anyway. And once that happened, she broke down. For other fighters, yeah, you have to lose. You have to lose because you want and you hunger so much more for the win. You work that much harder. Like if I make a mistake, then I'm going to go, okay, I'm never making that mistake again. I'm going to fix that and be better than I was before. Some fighters think that way. Other fighters go, well, I don't want to experience that again. I'm just going to avoid that. And you can't do that. Not in MMA. And I think for her, I knew it from the beginning. So it really doesn't come as a surprise to me. I'm actually surprised she took two losses before she retired. Yeah. Do, do you think the issue is the fact that, you know, she, she's making all this money now she doesn't need to do this any longer. You that's know good, what I mean? That's a good excuse. <laughs> but I, you no, do wonder because she could exactly. still be a competitive fighter and she could still be doing what you're doing. You know what? I don't I don't think she ever will because she always have that doubt in her mind. Um, I mean, even before her last fight, she said, I wanted to take a break. And she never said that before. That That statement alone is different than you've ever heard her. She already had that doubt in her mind. Uh, so I don't think she could ever go in there because she's always going to question herself and her abilities. And she's not just like, I would never want to fight a little local show. Once you fought at the best, you want to maintain that there's a standard that you hold yourself to and you constantly want to strive for that. And yeah, money is, is absolutely a good, good excuse. She's made tons of money. She's set for life. She never has to worry about money again. Um, and she proved what her skill and what her abilities were as a fighter. So she doesn't have to prove anything to anybody either. Well, I don't disagree. Uh, I don't think she remembered the first loss. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that's probably why I took two, you know. But, uh, you know, if you get knocked out, you have no memory of that at all, typically. I wonder what the future of UFC is, you know, because a lot of the superstars are down. You know, Ronda Rousey was known as a superstar. Conor McGregor, will we see him fight again? John Jones, the whole steroid issue. You know, I know GSP is back and, and he's a superstar, but I've been kind of debating this with friends of mine. If you're a younger kid who's maybe 18 years old and you just got into this UFC thing, you're not really familiar with his history. So it's it's kind of interesting how a lot of these superstars are, are not going to be fighting for a while. Yeah, but in the same sense, um, the advantage that we have, is particularly with the UFC, is through social media, they make all the fighters tangible. And uh, especially with the females, the female fighters, it's wide open. You know, if you there's, there's no cap to where you guys can end up this day. Yeah, as far as superstars, I think one thing we always learn is anybody can can replace you when it comes to fighting, when it comes to movies, anything you're replaceable. Somebody's going to step up and take your place so you can either grow with it or fall to the wayside. And let, let yourself just 
be a memory. And so there's always going to be a superstar that's going to rise up. That's going to take their, take their place and step up to, to be that new superstar. <laughs> it's funny. I, I've trained a lot of fighters through the years, and one of the more recent ones uh, has unlimited potential. But she got married at 19, so she's on a break. But at, at, yep. at uh, 5'1 and 114 pounds, she's one of the fastest runners on the planet. Uh, she, she can uh, deadlift 645 pounds, and nice. she's insanely physically fit, but got to get the mind fit with it, right, if that's what you want to do. And uh, she had a bad day in the gym one time and got a little frustrated and threw her gloves down and weights down, whatever. And I said, listen, you got you to gotta think about it like this to your point, Liz. I said, in, in almost virtually every city in the country and around the world, I mean, you've seen that little nine-year-old girl boxing from in Russia, hitting trees and stuff. I said, there's somebody out there training right now to beat you. I mean, six years old, eight years old, 12 years old. I said, and you're going to make your debut one day. And the day, your first day you walk out of the door and into the ring, there's some little kid sitting on your front porch just waiting on you. So exactly to your point, you can get replaced pretty quick, you know. And, if, and so, if, you know, that's one of the things in my quick study of you is your, your crazy drive. And I, I don't know, that's got to have some – it's all you, but it, the Marine Corps had to – had to stick some of that in there too, because you know Paris Island is no joke, right? You can't, you cannot quit there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I don't know where it came from. Honestly, like something I've talked about with my mom, uh, because always growing up, if I played soccer and I played goalie, I'm like, yeah, we lost. And my mom's like, yeah, you just made a record by defending 60 goals and only five, <laughs> like five went in, five, we lost, five, we just were. And she's like, are you listening to yourself? And I'd always come out of there beating myself up. And then, of course, the Marine Corps just caveated off that so much that it carried over in a maze. So whatever she raised and instilled in me was always to just be the best I could possibly be. And there is no such thing as a can't philosophy. The only person that can tell yourself can in life is yourself. If you set your mind and your dreams on something, it's tangible. It's going to be difficult. Absolutely. But anything is possible as long as you give everything you have onto it. And yeah. that's always been instilled in me. And then you top the Marine Corps on top of that. Crazy <laughs> <drive>. <laughs> that's, uh, no, that's all so true. Um, going back to what I was saying about superstars, and I, I'd kind of like to hear your feeling on this. I, I love the UFC as an organization and everything. Uh, but the one thing that does kind of bother me, and I think we've talked about this probably before, Jim, uh, is the fact that what makes someone a superstar nowadays is not necessarily the caliber of fighter. It's how great of a shit talker you are and all that. Like, I can tell you the most exciting fight that I saw of last year was Duho Choi and Cub Swanson. And to me, Duho Choi, that guy should absolutely be a superstar. And I think what holds him back is he doesn't speak English, so he can't, you know, give this, like, great interview that people want to see. And to me, as just a fight fan, I don't really care. He's exciting to watch. Yeah, and I absolutely agree with that. I think that there are definitely some fighters that are up there where I watch them get signed to an organization. And for what? Like, I look at their videos, I'm like, they're not good at all. They, there's still so much for them to achieve. They don't have the work ethic to get there anyway. But they do so good at pitching themselves on social media and broadcasting themselves out there on any platform possible. And as a result, they reach stardom but not because of their skill set as a fighter, but because they really know how to run their mouths. <laughs> yeah. 
And unfortunately, that is true. And I'm in my fight career itself is, is evidence of that. I focus more on my my job and I focus more on training than I ever do on on social media. I mean, half the time, my fiance and I will go do great stuff. We come back for the day. She's like, hey, do you take pictures and video? And I'm like, <laughs> no. <laughs> I, uh, she's like, what do we talk about? I'm like, oh, I'm sorry. I was enjoying the day. It never occurs to me at any point to be like, hey, let me stop and record this. And and that's just not me. Yeah. Um, the the and, best example and I know of that, that is that's, CM that's Punk, really right? Well, yeah, and I, like my team partner, Alima, she is so good at putting, making herself available to all the fans. And so not only does she have the skill set, but she also knows how to, how to broadcast herself on all these platforms that her career is just skyrocketing. And I watch her. I'm like, yeah, I wish I could do that. I just not good at it. <laughs> all, all you got to do is just call somebody out once in a while, you know, because yeah. your actions speak look, loud. I always look if you, you put yourself out there, if you talk, do all this trash talking and you better actions better always back up your words yeah and a simple mistake could happen you could have the best fight camp ever you go into the cage there's a little bit of water on the mat you don't know you slip and get caught and all that trash talking just came back and bit you right in the butt so i'm I'm never that person because i can always look at any mistake can happen it's life and it's fighting i could have i could go in in there and just have an off day and just not show up that day and the best representation of them shows up and i lose that fight or it could be the best performance I've ever had. Anything could happen. But for me, it's trash talking this isn't an option because I feel like it just it comes back to get you. Everybody wants to see you fail. And when you do, they're there just helping cover you up. <laughs> so so that's not always true, Liz. There's two kinds of failing in the ring. You know, if you lose, you lose, right? But some people lose and they go, oh, I'm glad he lost. He should have lost. He, he didn't fight. He didn't, you know, he's a pussy, whatever, right? But then... Some people lose, they go down fighting and they you know, to the very bitter end. I mean, even even Perry, man, I'm really disappointed because when he when they ended that fight, he just threw the towel in. He gave up. I lost respect. And I know he's a badass guy. And but the way he ended it wasn't good, you know, in my opinion. The way you end them is in a in a flame. And so you you're in a position, win, lose, or draw, that you could actually call people out sometime because there's no there's no quit in you that I can I found on the internet yet or anywhere else, and I can listen to your spirit right here now, and I've 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 been around people like you my entire life. I'm not saying there've been a lot of them, because I don't hang around a lot of people, but I hang around <laughs> people that are not afraid to lose or win, you know, and 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 that's one of the things I think in my mind that separates you. It's, you know, it's like, yeah, I lost, but they scored five points. Fuck, you know, you just you kind of go off on a tangent because losing's not a, an option in the way that you were brought up, in my opinion, only because I don't know you, but I can tell that when you lose, you don't lose fans. You know what I mean? And 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 that gives you a different platform to be able to promote yourself because you don't go down quitting. You know, if so if even on a bad day, you know. And I, I think, I think, you might be, you, you know, right on the edge of, of of a different level of social media success to just really catch on fire. You know, take everything that you built, everything you've done, and then just call out a couple of people. Not not like, hey, I want to fight you. I want to fight you. But if you think they're weak or strong in a specific area, just say, look, if I beat them, this is why I'm going to beat them. You know what I mean? Because they're weak in this area or this or that. You know. People listen to you because one, you're so rounded. You know, you have tons of skill, and not just one, 
you know, like Muay Thai or grappling. I mean, you've got the whole, you know, arsenal. Your toolbox is full, you know. So you you have you've earned the right to call people out and take that next step. You know, it's just my opinion. That's all. Yeah. The the best example of that was Nate Diaz, of course. Right? Oh yeah. I mean, I I feel like he was. <laughs> Uh, there, there was some obscurity there for a little bit, and and then when he finally took on Conor McGregor, and he put on a show. Yeah, yeah, and there are people like like Nick and Nate who are able to do that trash talking in Conor, and and just like that, people tune in because they want to see like he did all that trash talking, you know, back <laughs> it up, and and that's what brings in a lot of publicity for fights, and I respect that because without that, we wouldn't. I don't imagine that we would actually have as many fans tuned in for the UFC, if not for some of the trash talking that's occurred by some of these fighters, because you get so invested into seeing what's going to happen and excited about everything that they're going to say that you tune in and watch it. You want to see them, you want to see them succeed or fail or just see what's going to happen in the collision between the fighters. And that that's some great for the sport. It adds to that soap opera element. See, one of the beauties of being old is I was back in the Muhammad Ali days, you know, float like a butterfly, yeah. sting like a bee. He would call the round that he would knock somebody out in. And he, he really st- started this whole tree. He revolutionized, you know, fighting in social media, and it paid off really well for him. You know, he was very oh, controversial. Controversy sells. Don't you agree, Liz? I absolutely agree. <laughs> so, so be controversial. Hell with it. <laughs> So what is it that you're uh, currently working on and, and any, you know, idea of when we're going to see you in the cage next? I'm, I'm ready to go back in. Nice. Um, <laughs> I, I, was, I came, came back from the fight on skate. I have a scratch on my chin from head pressure. That's about it. Nice. Uh, and, and me, I'm always ready to go. I mean, Monday morning, I was like, hey, I'm ready to back train. They're like, no, go take a day off. Go <laughs> chill. Like, all right, fine. I guess I can relax. And then here I am again, like, well, I mean, I guess we could sneak off to, to the Y and they'll never know that I stayed there. Like, That's fine, right? Uh, I mean, just for me, whenever I win or lose, it, it doesn't matter um, because I'm assessing what I did correctly when I did incorrectly in the fight. And I want to improve. I want to be the best fighter I can be. I saw a lot of improvements from not only the last fight, but the last time I faced Alexis to this one, whole different fighter. Yeah. And I just want to keep showing that that's who I am is – an evolving fighter that's going to keep growing and just keep showing everybody what I have available to me and what I can do as a fighter. So the moment I can get back in there, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to, to go for that belt and hold that 125 belt for sure. So Liz, uh, but yeah, don't mean to interrupt. I apologize for that. But when I, when I charted your stuff, I, I, you can see the progression and how much better you're getting fight to fight to fight, you know? And, uh, Everything you said is exactly the way I, I I viewed it when I charted you. If you had to fight hypothetically Alexa again, what what, what would you do different? Uh, there's a few things I would do differently. Um, I think that I didn't push the tempo quite as well as I should have. I think at one point I without a doubt had her. She was rocked. I had her on the cage. I thought she was going to hold me. I should have backed off, reassessed, and then continued to do the flurry of punches and just knocked her out. Um, but, of course, hindsight's 50-50. You can always – realize the mistakes that you made. Um, but being able to take advantage of that and, and recognize that there's a time and a place I saw blood and I was going for it. I just did it incorrectly on how to pursue it so that I would do differently. Um, two is I would, I would push more with the the black belts that we have. I mean, I work with Gio, Giovanni Martinez, who's 135. Uh, he's a black belt under 10th planet and he holds the belt for EBI and every 
champs that I've had to work with him, I feel like he's improved my game so much and he's seen more insight. So one thing I would do is just take advantage of him more and use him because I feel like he helped me to succeed on where I did on the ground. There are definitely mistakes that I made, of course, but in the past where I was at, I never would have done, I never would have come out of that fight with against a black belt, not getting tapped out. And I was able to hold my grounds and tried something on her, was able to defend stuff from her. And that's a huge improvement that I want to capitalize more that I know will help me out and just pushing more on my, on my stand up to be more aggressive towards her for that. So, so speaking of stand up, one of the things lately, I, I mean, I've watched the entire evolution of the UFC and, you know, the stand up game has become, you know, more and more prevalent with a lot of more knockouts and, and, you know, just people just getting beat down with really good uh, takedown defenses. It, mm-hmm. How do you view your stand up against her? Would you do anything differently? Or I'm, I'm just curious because really, really. Uh, I think I'd just throw more in combinations. When I was throwing in stand up, I was succeeding and I was doing really well. I mean, she really only connected about two punches. And uh, that was just kind of like a learning, okay, let me wake up a little bit. You hit me, cool, now I can actually throw. And once I woke up, I was like, all right, now I'm seeing everything and getting a better perspective and watching the whole movement of what she's doing, where we're at in the cage. And I was able to take advantage of that more. I just needed to be more aggressive with it and throw more combinations and changing levels and more kicks. Um, Use my clinch work, which I love throwing. I love using the clinch. I have a really strong clinch. I should have used it more in that fight, and I didn't. So those are definitely things we've done differently. So do you find any advantage to being a southpaw? You're southpaw, right? Both. I'm ambidextrous. Okay. That's interesting. Which do you prefer? <laughs> My son was ambidextrous. Um, it You know, it really depends. I feel like as a southpaw, my defensive capabilities, a southpaw, my movement, I can read the opponent better and defend better. Uh, but I definitely feel like I have a lot more power in my right hand if I'm standing standard. So if I want to go for that finishing knockout, I'll probably be standard. But to set it up, southpaw works really well for me. Nice. Awesome. Hey, so last thing before we go, you were mentioning, you know, your work with Eddie Bravo and, and his popularity through Joe Rogan. Have you, have you ever been on uh, Rogan's podcast? You know, I thought I had and we were uh, I was actually talking with with Gabe Tuttle. Uh, he's one of my main training partners as well. And we were discussing, I'm like, I swear I've been on the podcast. He's like, look, I'm not to be a creeper. But he's like, <laughs> I've watched every podcast. He's <laughs> like, well, you're not creeping on me. So that's cool. <laughs> and he's like, and I don't recall that. I'm like, well, I'll take your word for it. So I thought I had, but I guess not. I feel like on- sitting down for, you know, an hour or two with Joe Rogan would not be a forgettable experience, you know? Yeah. And I think it's just that I've, I've been around him so often in, in, the, in my fight life that I guess, and we've, I've talked to him outside of fighting. I guess I just assumed I'd been on his podcast. I haven't yet. He's got to get you on. I mean, especially with you both being in California, it's such a big draw and, and everybody loves Rogan's podcast. So that would be cool to hear. Oh, I agree. I think that'd be a blast. Uh, well, it's been a blast having you on here and hopefully we'll do it again soon. Um, you could follow Liz on Twitter and Instagram at I am girl Rilla. Uh, and anything else that you're promoting before we let you go? <laughs> Uh, no, no, I hopefully might be having another location opening up for 10th planet. Uh, keep your fingers crossed on that one. Nice. Uh, but right now it's, it's the success of our Oceanside location, our Mission Valley location. They're doing really well. And so many great fighters are coming up. Competitors are coming up that are pushing all of us to new levels. 
And from what I see, you're very accessible on social media. So if anybody is interested, that's really the place to go. I, I should also thank Marissa from SiriusXM for sharing Liz's contacts. This has been uh, this has been a great interview, and we look forward to doing it doing it again. So, Liz, oh, when, when is the book coming out? <laughs> you know, uh, we were talking about that. My fiance and I were talking about doing possibilities of a book um, once I have a little bit more free time and I can actually sit still. Then, then we'll be in the works for that. <laughs> so, so I ask specifically because you 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 bridge a, a couple of different worlds, and, and being a former Marine and combat veteran, y you know, a lot of what you do, and, and I kind of do it myself. Yeah, it's just helping the uh, you know things things that uh, will inspire the veterans, you know, the combat vets. No, absolutely, and I think that uh, I mean I think anybody that's ever served has a soft spot in the heart for vets. And, and certainly I've lost friends that either were in or got out and just it wasn't working when they got out. So I, I definitely want to help vets as much as possible. Yeah, that, that's nice. Uh, same here. Maybe we can collaborate on something one of these days. I do a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Oh, absolutely. Appreciate it. Thank you, Liz. Thank you so much. Yeah, that was great having Liz Carmuch on for the first time. Uh, like I said, I interviewed her, I, I think it, it may have been a couple of years ago at this point, uh, but it was a really quick one. So it was cool to have her more thorough. I mean, she went over 45 minutes with us and uh, had a lot to say and hope to see her fight again soon. Yeah, I, I think she's got a lot to bring to the table just, you know, after speaking to her, actually physically seeing her uh, energy levels off the Richter scale. She actually reminds me of uh, the one I used, I used to train and sometimes do. Uh, which older though, because that girl is pretty young. Liz, I yeah. believe, is like thirty-three. Right, and and to, in my mind, she's in her prime. So there's nothing holding her back, unless it's her. You know, you think you could be in your prime at thirty-three? I'm just oh, wondering. Oh yeah, I think to about thirty-six or thirty-eight anymore. Now, some of the guys are pushing over forty. I think that may be a little bit of a too much of a push. You know, yeah. but uh, I think up until thirty-six, you're peaking. I uh, just personally, yeah. Uh, you just got to stay on it, and uh, clearly she does. Uh, yeah, but there are a few things, you know, that I'd like to dig deeper into with her, not her training style, but just on the strategy and, you know, the southpaw, the orthodox fighter, how you align yourself to your opponent, constant forward pressure, just some fight principles that I think would make a difference. And uh, probably, probably, uh, I'm definitely interested because she's a she's a full spectrum you know fighter and obviously knows a lot. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's definitely doing the right thing in terms of her career when you're talking about uh, you know five years down the line where she probably won't be in the cage anymore. You, I mean, you never know; she might still be. But to be involved with all these martial arts training schools, that's really the way to go because you could be training people to fight at, at your age at sixty something. Yeah, well, I think the name change if, uh, is, is a huge difference in, in how many people you can attract. You know, when you talk about combat karate versus you know, anything else, it automatically opens the door for more people to come through your doors. If It, it could become a national gym chain one day, and that never does bad. Yeah, I mean, I go to UFC gym, and, and that was it's a relatively new franchise doing amazing. And I don't even do MMA. I just go to work out. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think she's on. She's a. I don't see anything holding her back except for. I think it would be good to watch her get up there and call a few people down, like what we discussed. Uh, I, but I, I, 
I see what she was saying because I I don't think it's in her personality type. Yeah, but she's such a badass. <laughs> and, and being a former Marine, yeah, I think it would just uh, everybody would wake up and go, oh, what the hell? I thought she was just a nice girl. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Have you ever heard uh, Eddie Bravo, who owns that Tenth Planet Jiu Jitsu? Uh, yeah, I know. I know who he is. I've never met him because he really is like the biggest conspiracy theorist. Well, he's been on Rogan. He, like, he's one of those people where nothing went down the way that the government says it goes down. Actually, one of my friends, uh, who's a mixed martial artist, sent me one of the uh, radio clips or whatever, you know, the podcast. Yeah. They said, Jim, you got to hear this. Because, you know, <laughs> we have our conversations about conspiracy, you know. Like, example, I'd, I'd be curious what he thinks about this uh, senator or congressman from Chicago uh, last week. That's inviting the United Nations into Chicago. Yeah. Right? That's a hell of a conspiracy. But I'm sure he'd have something, you know, yeah, I'd like way crazier. That. Yeah. May not be that crazy. <laughs> uh, he's he's uh out there guy. He'd be interesting to have on here sometime. I remember uh I had Jack <laughs> listen to the podcast uh episode nine eleven, because I remember it was nine eleven of uh Alex Jones and Joe Rogan with Eddie Bravo and 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 Jack Murphy was like this guy Eddie Bravo sounds absolutely fucking insane. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Probably gotta, great at MMA though. Yeah, yeah, you got to believe. Well, you know what? As long as you believe, man, it's okay. Yeah. All right. So wrapping things up here as a reminder for all of those who are listening: for a limited time, you can receive a fifty percent discounted membership to Softrep TV our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. SoftRep TV's premier show, Training Cell, follows former Special Operations Forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country, everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to SoftRep TV, and that's at softreptv.us. And take advantage of a limited-time offer of 50% off your membership. That's only $4.99 a month. Also, we were talking about earlier in the intro of the show, if you haven't gotten a chance to check out the SoftRep Crate Club, you're definitely going to want to do that ASAP. It's a subscription to get a box of badass tactical and survival gear delivered to your door every month. Here's the kicker. All of the gear is hand-picked and tested by former special ops guys so you know you're getting quality gear that's going to work when you need it to. Crates we've sent in the past have included gear like custom knives, multi-tools, fire starters, EDC med kits, and other kick-ass stuff. You don't just get great gear with your subscription. You're also supporting a veteran-owned and run company. To subscribe and start getting your gear, visit crateclub.us. We also have gift options available. That's crateclub.us, which is great for the holiday season. And uh, I should throw out there, as we said, we're doing all these events. You know, we did the Jim West uh, fighting uh, training seminar, and I know you had a blast doing it. We'll hopefully do more stuff like that in the future. Uh, and I believe that we're doing something in Las Vegas. Our managing editor, The Odyssean, is still putting the finishing touches on that. So uh, as soon as I know, we'll get the word out. And, uh, you know, you're talking to Liz about getting a book out. we got to get your book out. I just started working on it again. Uh, just, I, thought it was, I, I thought it was done. It, it's, it's done except for the timelines and a little bit of dressing. But I just started going chapter by chapter. So I just it, – it's, it's my life. Every get time this I read, thing out, damn it. I am. Um, I swear. <laughs> I promise. Um, 
All right, you want to throw out your website and all that before we uh, wrap this up? Sure. Uh, website is AmericanExtensionFighting.com. Uh, uh, right now, the memberships are free. Uh, one of the things I'm planning to do, hopefully in the, uh, by the end of the second quarter 2018, is uh, to start doing webinars uh, once a week, once a month. I'm not sure how that's going to work out yet, but actual, you know, the the street fighting seminar that I did for uh, uh, Hurricane and Soft Rep was uh, incredible, and let me you know it could be a good launch point for me, which is going to bring me out more yeah. to the public, and because it was really enjoyable, feedback was really the best I've ever had, and we're already starting to follow up a program, so I'm going to take that and formalize this uh, the seminar series so I can come out and, and and meet anyone's needs along the way. So that that's something I'm I'm driving towards now. And if anybody wants me to come out and do a seminar, just let you know or SoftRep know, and uh, we can work out the details. Absolutely, you could email us at softrep.radio at softrep.com. I could always pass on anything to Jim and any questions you have for Jim. I'll you know store those for the next time that Jim is on. Um, yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, of course, at Ian Scotto, uh, facebook.com slash Ian Scotto Radio, and. Follow the show at SoftRep Radio on Twitter, at SoftRep Radio on Instagram. I'll be sure to get a picture of Jim here before we wrap up, and we'll put that up. Uh, who's flexing for me? And, uh, yeah, that's it. Appreciate you guys listening. As always, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks again to Wiz Carmooch, and we're out. You've been listening to SoftRep Radio. New episodes up every Wednesday and Friday. For all of the great content from our veteran journalists, join us and become a team room member today at softrep.com. Follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Softrep Radio. And be sure to also check out the Power of Thought podcast, hosted by Hurricane Group CEO and Navy SEAL sniper instructor, Brandon Webb.